0: Tonight we're going to be talking about Mark. Sugar Puffs? No. What are we going to be talking about, Mark?
1: Um, season 19, 1982. Is it 1982? I think it is, isn't
0: it? My years are around that time. I can I can never get it straight in my head. <laughs> I have to look it
1: up. You're making me doubt myself now.
0: Well, season 20 was the 20th anniversary, which
2: is, would have been 1983, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. Oh Uh, Oh, I'm the male Carol Vorderman. It was twenty years ago. ago.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we go then. We are gonna talk about tonight season nineteen. We did have one email on the subject from Richard Judge, first time caller. Mm. Hello, Richard. Or first time emailer. Richard says, I remember around the time season 19 was transmitted being an exciting time for Doctor Who. The Five Faces repeat season had just been shown, and although Tom's interpretation was held in high regard by most fans and general viewers, there was a feeling that it was time for a change. I was 11 at the time, and even then I felt that the series had been in a decline since Hinchcliffe had left. My interest and hopes for Davidson were high. When the season started, I recall being just completely nonplussed by castravalva and for doomsday being extremely dull, with kinder just making no sense to me at the time whatsoever. I wanted a return to the days of zygons, sutek, vox, and greel, and what we got was frog people and that effing ridiculous pink snake. <laughs> Even the master had become shite. <laughs> I must say, I don't know. I don't, I did that to fool the machines at iTunes. Yeah, yeah. Because if you say the word properly, they pick up on it and give you an expletive rating. Really? They do well, pick don't up know. on swear
1: words, do they? <laughs> 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 Not like I do.
0: I'm assuming this is how it works. They don't actually have somebody who listens through them all. I'm assuming no. they just have a voice recognition type software it's, thing that picks up on swear words. Absolutely, yeah. They so if you're saying a funny you know voice, I suspect you'll get away with it. Anyway, back to the subject of Richard Judge's email. (laughs) I wanted a return to the days of Zygon, Sutex, Vox and Greel. And what we got was frog people and that effing ridiculous pink snake. Even the master had become shit. I must say, the three stories that followed saved the season and the show for me. Especially Earthshock. Still one of my all-time favourites. I was one of those who nearly wet themselves when the Cybermen appeared at the end of episode one. And then, being genuinely shocked at Adric's death... I honestly thought that in episode one of Time Flight, they were going to go back and rescue him. No chance. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, though, this email has saved you mentioning Adric, Mark. Oh, you'll get
1: a few mentions. uh, He he? will. He will. I will go into an Adric spill when we Mm -hmm. get into Kinder. Really? Kinder? Yeah. Oh. It's the only one I've watched fresh for this podcast.
0: Oh, right. And And does he do something particularly? Seriously,
1: he's on top form. (laughs) I'll
0: go into it later, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Right, uh, anyway, the rest of the email. Uh, Shame Peter Graham Wade couldn't write as well as he directed as Time Flight demonstrated. So for me, ups and downs. Season 19, Shock in particular, was the last time I felt connected to the show. Probably right until 19... Probably right until 2005. 19, 2005? Is that really a year? (laughs) It is now. Probably right until 2005 and Rose. Regards and keep up the great podcast. Thank oh, you. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, mate. <clears throat> so, oh, you know what I've not done? Uh, I've not done an on-the-spot for anybody.
1: Lee? Well, Lee not being here. 60 seconds on silence. Oh, very good.
3: Yeah.
0: Lee's not here. Lee's in the box with Stephen Moffat. He might be making an appearance later. We have set him a challenge tonight, and that challenge is to get out of the box before the end of tonight's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So you never know. He may turn up. In the meantime, he sent us some thoughts on the stories. We are going to do what we always do. And why is that, Mark? We
2: all vote on what our favourite stories were, and we go through them in reverse order. We start with
0: the one we like the least. So we start with the one we like the least and we work our way towards the one we like the best.
1: (sighs) Better say it in in a funny voice (laughs) so the machine doesn't pick up on it.
0: (laughs) You can't even bear to say the words, can you? I can. I could do, uh, well, people who know this... Tim Flicht. No, I can say that, all right. Time shite. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's the story that came in last place. Why did that come in last place, Simon? Because
1: it it absolutely
0: sucks. You know what, though? When we started this podcast, I said we'd never just diss something without looking into the Mm. wise and wherefores. Mm. And we would always discuss and say whether there was anything good. Mm. Because I don't think there's any story in the entire history of the programme that doesn't have something Mm. to recommend it. Mm. Mm. So let's see. I mean, let's see if we can figure if there's anything in Time Flight to recommend it, because I think there is. Concord was cool. Okay. Being a a kid of nine at the time, Concord was pretty cool. As a nine-year-old then, Hmm. when you watched Time Flight, obviously Hmm. it came after Earthshock, and I don't think there was anybody in the country who wasn't a little bit disappointed. Hmm. But, I mean, when you were watching Time Flight at the age of nine... Because I think I was 12 or 13 at the time. But at the age of nine, Mm. surely time flight at the age of
1: nine must have been okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah, obviously it was Doctor Who, so of course I was going to sit down and watch it.
1: I must have been very naive because I remember thinking, being disappointed that Adric wasn't alive. Mm. Wow. That's how naive I was. That's an admission. It is.
0: But uh, to me, I was probably too old, so I did appreciate... I say appreciate. I did notice all the flaws, but by the same token, I was thinking throughout the story, if it wasn't for the fact that it did look a bit cheap, the um, ideas were quite interesting. Yeah, the the idea of it being set on a prehistoric earth.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, and the and the fact that of the plane being yeah. something Doctor Who had never done, isn't it?
0: And the Master, of course, in his usual disguise. I thought that was quite a fun thing to do. I know <laughs> Lee absolutely detests that, but fortunately he's not here.
1: It's quite nice to think of the Master being slightly unhinged that he actually talks to himself in a <laughs> stupid voice. Well,
0: he's got that do 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 going on in his head, hasn't he? Yeah. gone. <laughs> Trying to make God, up for Lee but, not being here. But, you know, he does. It does, make, it does make a certain kind of sense to do things like that for the viewer, mm. because there wouldn't have been... Much yeah. of that story yeah, at all, yeah, if yeah, they've yeah. just shown the master. You caught me monologuing, right as I say. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 but then you do, don't you, on television?
1: Yeah,
0: people talk to themselves all the time. That's. Uh, I
2: mean, anything else? They didn't moan about it when John Normington did it on uh, K. Arnie did they?
0: No, quite. Mm. But. He wasn't pretending to be somebody else. I suppose not. That's the thing that really riles Lee, isn't it? Lee has given us comments about all seven of the stories tonight, but he didn't give us a comment that was repeatable about time flight, so I'm not going to repeat it. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, the thing I probably noticed, even at the age of 12 or whatever I was, Mm. that kind of made me think, even in spite of the obvious cheapness, was just the, all the story elements. Peter Grimwade struck me as one of these guys who just throws lots of and this Mordrin undead a perfect example of this. Throw lots of elements of the story, but uh, none of them really seem to stick. Mm, it's like mm. how, he's got the what are they called the plasmatons? Yeah, and, and then what are the other Their ones? Cousins the cousins of seraphim? the jail guards. Yeah, I know. It's like yeah, yeah. He could have, but but what are they there for? I like the bubbles. Um, and then at the yeah. end of the story, you've got the... Are they called the Xerathen or something like that? Mm. Yes. And then what are they in the story for? What really? Because, I mean, what was the master's plan? I don't mind the master being in it. I don't mind him talking to himself. Yeah. I don't mind him wearing a disguise. <laughs> but come the end of the story, you know, I don't know how many times I've seen Time Flight, maybe about four. But come to the end of the story, I'm always thinking to myself, what really was it about? Mm. No. Yeah. Plot is
2: rather nonsensical.
0: Yeah, it just sort of seems to be one of these throw all sorts of things at mm, it and see just... what sticks. Yeah, and that's, you know, in the modern series, people... Hang
1: on, my phone's ringing, hang on. Okay, have you turned it off? It's Lee. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. I'll answer it. Live on air? You are live on the Blue Box podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: How far through are
1: you? Oh We're about... How far through are we? <laughs> <laughs> We're about five minutes in, aren't we? Ten minutes... We're on time flight, Teller. We're on time flight. Oh, uh, shit. okay, I'll uh, not bother. I'll come at nine when you're done. Is it, well, you might as well come over when you're ready. All oh, right, okay. Uh, time flight, though. Yeah, well, you're, you're going to miss time flight, so there's the, there's the bonus. Good. <laughs> you can tell it's good for me. I'll, I'll see you later. Well, you're on the mic, so tell, tell the listener that you're on your way. so there you go okay we'll see you in a minute bye. okay bye
0: and now moving rapidly what a along. piece of radio gold that was <laughs> <laughs> honest to goodness you may have to edit that uh <laughs>
2: Hang on, i'm just checking to see if there's anyone still listening um... <laughs> no no completely
0: gone what were we what was i saying about Peter well, you're Grimway saying there was just throwing nothing in. Yeah. Oh, I was saying about the new series. There's no Pe- idea at the core of it, is there? No, in I mean, the new series, Russell T. Davis, and I'm assuming Stephen Moffat probably does a pretty similar thing, maybe not quite to the extent that Davis did, but you know, they'll give the writers a shopping list of elements to try and tie together in a story. And the thing is, it seems to me that if you give a shopping list to a writer, the writer will then sit down and think about how to tie those things together. But if the writer comes up, like Peter Grimwade, with his own shopping list, he doesn't seem to bother.
4: Mm, mm.
0: You know, that's what struck me about it. It was like he gave himself his own shopping list and, you know, didn't bother to buy them from the same shop.
2: I think Richard makes a very good point because Grimwade, I think, was one of the better directors in the classic series. It's yeah. just a shame that didn't translate the right Into his
1: writing, no. Well, it's, you know, it's... Different, you can't always be an all rounder, can you? No, says the Renaissance man himself.
0: <laughs> well,
2: some people, master can, of, some people, yeah. check of all trades. I
0: mean, he obviously could write, he wrote the scripts. You yeah. know, most people wouldn't be able to write a script, mm. Mm. you know. So, obviously, he wasn't completely talentless, but just making a story that made sense. Anyway, that was the story that we voted seventh out of seven.
1: Wasn't there a bit, some business about the, the race being split down the middle by the Master, between oh, the good and the like evil, that. or something like that?
0: Yeah, what was it all about, really? I know, yeah. It's, i tell you what, the one nice thing about that story, perhaps, was the very ending, when Tegan didn't get in the TARDIS. Left no, that her.
1: was, I mean, that, that is mm. two things that are in there, not necessarily story-based, but was the fact that, yeah, like you say, that happened to Tegan, and also the appearance of Adric, which obviously as we've stated, was to wrong-foot the viewer yeah. as far as Adric not being...
0: Yeah, because they would see the credits for the from the Radio Times if they wanted to look in the Radio Times, so they wanted to make sure he was in there. Mm.
2: When you said you really liked the very end, I thought you meant when the credits rolled.
0: Oh, I'm not that... <laughs> I'm not that sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the trouble was that that was the last story in the season and you really don't want to go out on one as bad as that, because it does leave a bad taste in the mouth. Twin Dilemma. Yeah, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you've got an up-and-down season in Season 19, it's a pretty up-and-down season, as I think we'll all agree. Mm, yeah. And I think Season 21 was as well, to be honest. You know, you've got Warriors of the Deep next to Resurrection of the Daleks, next to Planet of Fire, next to Caves of Andrazani. Mm-hmm. If you've got an up-and-down season, you really want to end on a high, not a low. In fact, Both seasons actually have got a fairly similar sort of aesthetic, as far as the very the sort of variation between the stories. Mm-hmm.
1: And That's both... one thing I will say is it's quite interesting about the season, though, it is the variation. We'll we'll come to the different episodes, and they've all got they've all got an individual identity as opposed to all the other stories. Season they?
0: nineteen, yeah. Do you know what season nineteen was? The season without a script editor, wasn't it? Mm. Christopher Bidmead left at the end of season eighteen and Eric Saywood, in spite of the paperwork, didn't really join a script editor until the start of season twenty, didn't start having any input into what was going on in the story since till season twenty. So season nineteen is literally just seven stories they could cobble together, basically. Which is why there's so much variation. Mm. You've got a bit of the hangover of Christopher Bidmead with his uh you know, magic mathematization. <laughs> if you want to charge vacuum <laughs> exactly you've got you know there's a bit of an influence from Christopher H Bidmead in a few of the stories early on and then towards the end of the season you start getting the Eric Sayward influence coming in but it's such a hodgepodge of all mm, sorts of different mm. things going together and anyway the story we voted sixth was Fort a Doomsday Mark any thoughts on Fort to Doomsday
2: um hmm. Not the most exciting story. Really rubbish aliens. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of something positive. How long positive. ago since you watched it? Um, I have got it on DVD, even though I don't like it because I'm a sad completist. I probably watched it... Uh, maybe Have you watched it since the DVD came out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And you still
0: thought that about it? Because um, I have to say, I watched it on DVD when it came out, mm-hmm. and I had a total renaissance with this story. Uh, When it was first on, when it was first transmitted, I just thought it was the dullest thing ever. Mm. But rewatching it, there are so many great actors in it, giving great performances. Mm. And it's just got a really laid-back vibe to it. Mm. And I found myself watching the DVD, loving it, absolutely loving it. Mm -hmm. It was just one of those ones that completely caught me by surprise. I put it on, expecting myself to, you know... Totally bored. Yeah. And actually I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I know his
2: Peter Davison is not necessarily your favourite doctor. But I think he's pretty good in it.
0: Well, he's probably better in is that the first one they filmed? Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah. And that's before he really starts in with the panting acting, really, isn't it? <laughs> he does do some in there, but I don't think he's nearly as bad in that one as the others.
2: That is your bugbear, isn't it?
0: Well, yeah. T- have I explained it on the podcast mm. why he does it? I yeah, have, haven't yeah. I? And *Ford of Doomsday* was the first one they filmed, so that was obviously before he worked out that he needed to do something like mm. that in order to make it work for him as an actor. So, and in case you don't know what we're talking about, because they film it out of sequence, Peter Davison decided that in order to, you know, make a scene. <laughs> That you film on a Thursday afternoon fit in with a scene that you film on Friday morning. You start and end every scene at the same tempo. And basically, Peter Davison, after he worked this out, spent the entirety of his tenure as the doctor (laughs) panting every time he had a line of dialogue. Even as
1: a kid, I I thought, has has, has his doctor got asthma?
0: Yeah. Or is he like having some kind of an attack? You know, it's like (laughs) somebody just put something somewhere they shouldn't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he
0: did have his hands in his pockets a lot.
1: Oh. <laughs> I haven't watched Fortitude To day in full <laughs> uh, recently. Not since probably since transmission. I've watched one or two long sections just to try and get a feel for it for, for this podcast. Um but I do remember ha- it having a huge feeling and it reminded me big style of the Hitchhiker's Guide TV series. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. yeah. a bit of The Vogon spaceship and, yeah. and even yeah. the aliens were very mm. vogonish. Mm. Yeah. I thought and um, the
0: sort of madness that's going on on the spaceship with all these different sort of... The different cultures. and Yeah. Whatever, yeah. Mm. All these little sort of ethnic groups mm. doing their things. Some good
1: actors in there as well. Yeah. Some isn't
0: great, Burke Park, isn't it? Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it pretty Brilliant.
0: good. And um, the guy with the one eye who plays the... Bygone. Yeah, I can't Biden. remember, yeah, can't I remember I forget the, the actor's the act name. name. No, no, I can't. But he's a great actor as well. He just... I recognised him because, even at the age of whatever I was... He'd just been in something else as well. that was quite well received. Mm. And he was you know, he played a really good part in it and who he was in Doctor Who. And he was excellent. Mm.
1: Well, and the main the main guy Stratford Johns. Stratford Johns. Yeah.
0: John. yeah. Well, awesome actor. Yeah. And you know, he might have been playing it up a bit, but mm. he was having great fun with that. And Persuasion and Enlightenment. Yes. Mm. They were fantastic as well. And Paul, what's his face? Great artist as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always there with a frivolous comment, Mark. No, they what? I thought he knocked up a pretty decent picture. Yeah. But they're great actors, and I thought it was a nice script as well, actually. Oh, sorry, are
1: You what? Are you talking about Tegan's drawing? Yeah. Because that was incredible, uh, yeah. wasn't it? Considering yeah. she just sketched it out. It's amazing. <laughs> but I thought it was, um,
0: you know, I, when I first watched it, I thought the central conceit of this doesn't work out and it's a bit of a naff one as well four days the best
1: thing about it is the title it's a brilliant title for a story four to doomsday yeah loved it from the start yeah i just thought it was a very evocative title and you start thinking, is it the four of them, or is it the... Well, it's a hell of a lot more
0: evocative than Castrovalva or Kinder.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I like I remember as a kid, like, in the bit where he throws the cricket ball at the um, ship to give himself the... Oh, such a poor special effect. Oh, right? uh, yeah, well. But
1: brilliant, because to a kid, you immediately thought, oh, he's in his cricket suit, he's going to start yeah. doing lots of cricket things. Because they had that, and you had Black Orchid, didn't you? So... Did
0: you notice the, how bad the special effects there were when you were a kid? Um, perhaps not. No, that's what I'm saying. I think I I
1: noticed how wobbly the helmets were.
0: No, when you're a kid, you don't pick up on things like that. I think you get to a certain age where suddenly things like that start to Mm. really make their presence felt. And I was obviously past that age. But I'm saying if you weren't, then that, yes, probably was quite a nice bit. Uh, But, you know, at the age I was, I just thought, oh, my God, did they really (laughs) want to try this? (laughs) But I thought there were lots of uh, a lot of really nice things in it. I think... you know, that's probably the most damning praise that you can give it, is that it's a nice story. But it is. It's just a nice, laid-back, relaxed, engaging, involving story with lots of great actors and, you know, some nice dialogue as well. The story itself might not be up to much, but to put it on for
1: an hour and 40 minutes and just kick back and relax with it,
0: mm. I think it does a ch- job its job pretty very well. very
1: cheap on DVD. Probably the cheapest one, isn't it? One of them, it was. Know. Oh, I
0: guess it could be. I don't know. Uh, oh, we do have a comment from Lee about the next one. Shall I read the comment now? And then Go we'll try then. and guess what story it is, even though Mark's looking at the piece of paper, so <laughs> Simon, you'll be the one who has to try and guess. <laughs> I'll give you until the fourth word I use, all right? Okay. Um, he says, beautiful idea using Escher as the basis for the city. All oh, right. okay. Uh, kind of. Zero room, made up and lost in one est- episode. Waste of flipping time, if you ask me. <laughs> Adric's hard on. Someone should have told Horseboy to tape it to his leg. The master <laughs> is a pantomime villain through and through. Silly, silly, silly. I do like Peter Davison in this. What little we see of him, bland episode, but has nostalgia value for me. I should have read these before I brought them along. Yeah. I don't know if I'd have bothered reading it out.
1: Gastrovalva. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody? I love it. Yeah, I love it. Not necessarily because it's good. As such, mm, mm. that it's got guts. Or I think like it's that. got a but bit of nostalgia value. It's definitely one of my favourite first episodes mm. after regeneration, sort of thing. I, think, yeah. I love the scenes in the. I love the unraveling of the, the scarf. Again, you're saying loads of lovely ideas in there, and the zero room is a lovely idea as well.
0: See, I never thought that. Mm. I never liked the idea of the zero room. I just, I just thought well, we've never seen it before. He's got through it before, mm. and I always thought. That Time Lords are supposed to be educated into regenerating without any problems. Why would they need to put zero rooms in TARDIS's?
1: Chill out. Yeah, the <laughs> chill room. <laughs> it's really, isn't it? Let's face it. I guess so. He's been um, out but, for a night but
2: clubbing definitely. and, you know, wants to chill.
0: Yeah, I know. I think it's Adric who'd been out for the night clubbing. Mm. Actually, yeah, if Adric was on board, in you'd the had you a chill, is. wouldn't you? I like Gastrovalva. It's my least unfavorite of all the
1: uh, Christopher Bidmead stories. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I love the fun. wool unraveling. I love mm. that in every essence. It's symbolic and it's, you know.
2: And he does his little sort of, as Jay, I would say, impressionations.
0: Yeah. It was a very unbalanced story, though. Mm. It was like each, you know, sometimes if you've got a story where each episode does a different thing. That's okay, it works, as long as you kind of set out to do a different thing with each episode. But mm-hmm. in this story, it just seemed like each episode was doing a different thing because the writer didn't really know how not to. No. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like almost by accident. And it just seemed like it had such a weird balance. What heck of a
1: thing to throw a new Doctor into, and it? it really is brilliantly directed, though, by Fiona Cumming.
2: Mm, I, I like the the um, design of the city, obviously, like you say, based on Escher. Um, that was really impressive. Well, they pulled yeah. it off considering what they had to work with back mm. in 82 or 81 or wherever it was. Yeah, you look
0: it. at Castrovalva and then you look at Timefly and ask yourself where it all mm. went so horribly wrong. Mm. Yeah. Actually, yeah, the costume great.
1: design was really good in that episode as well, mm.
0: in
2: Castrovalva.
1: You like the Portreeves hat, don't
2: you? Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, all those characters were excellent, actually. Mm. I know Lee has a problem with the Master revealing himself again. But to <laughs> me, that in that instance, mm. it seemed perfectly reasonable. Because if he's put this experiment together to trap the Doctor, you know, you'd want to be there making sure it does.
4: Yeah, mm. and yeah I can
0: see the lo- logic behind that. And those characters, I just really enjoyed watching them, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Hello again, it's another instance of a story that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And I didn't like the balance. I didn't like that whole first episode being in the TARDIS.
4: Mm.
0: And then when they come out of the TARDIS, I quite like the bit where they're getting two casts Alva, but mm. at that point, all the
1: logic seems to go a bit wobbly.
2: They've got those sort of Ewok wannabes, don't they? With the little helmets yeah. and Very stuff. Very tall Ewok
1: wannabes. <laughs> mm. I like the idea they make that little cabinet out of the, out the doors of the Zero room. So he's weightless. Again, lots of nice scientific ideas, but
0: and that reminds you of Han Solo in uh, (laughs) at the end of the Empire Strikes Back on a a budget. Yeah, very much on a budget. (laughs) On a a wheelchair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what it reminded me of at the time.
2: Yeah, no, I could see that. Um,
0: Who else was in Castrovalva? Was it Michael Sheen in it? Yes, of course he was. Yeah, yeah. one of
2: my favourite Doctor Who actors.
0: What about the cliffhanger at the end of episode three then? Did that work? Which,
1: what, where, where well, we that's started. supposed to be
0: the Escher bit where the city starts folding in on itself yeah. and the Doctor sees the... I mean, I've talked about Peter Davison's performance in this story and everything else, mm. but the bit where he sees the city starting to fold in on itself and basically they've just put bits of pictures all together. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice idea, but did mm. it work? Can you remember seeing it when you were kids and whether it worked?
1: Uh. I think it's one of those that gave you the idea. I think as a a
2: nine-year-old kid watching it, you just got swept along with it because it was a new Doctor and you just... Because at that age, I'd not seen anyone other than Tom. So it was something so totally different that it was exciting to watch anything.
1: I do remember defending it to my sister. My sister just goes, oh, why is he laying down all the time? He spent the Mm. whole story laying down. Yeah, but I was thinking that and I was a fan. I know, I know, well. The one bit that I really
0: liked was the bit with the books, where the books were supposed to be the history and they were supposed to have been written, you know, as the history was happening. Yeah. And then the Doctor says, but if they're really the history, then why are they all the same age as one another? Mm. I really liked that.
1: It's actually a story that could be really well made now. Yeah, probably could. You know, going to the psychology of the characters, suddenly realising that actually they don't exist, they're part of somebody's fabricated story.
0: Well, it's probably more like what Amy's Choice should have been like. Yeah. <clears throat> Actually, you could do a cross between Amy's Choice and Castrovalva and make a pretty decent fist of it. But as it is, you've got two stories, in my opinion, that don't quite <laughs> do the business. I like Amy's Choice. I like Castrovalva as well. I think it's only as high as it is because I voted it quite high. No, I voted it quite high as well, I think. I think, to be honest, though, what we've got this season, you know, it's... One of those funny ones. When you take time fly out of the equation, the rest of it's not really bad at all. No. no, no. But it's just such an odd season. It's not so much that the quality's missing; it's that it's just so all over the place. Mm. This is like too much variety. But I mean, that's a great thing about Doctor Who is that you get variety, mm. but at the same time, you also want
1: consistency. Yeah. And
0: this is just a season that doesn't There doesn't have... seem
2: to be any structure to it, does
1: it? No, They're all... whatsoever. It's consistently inconsistent. I oh, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Right, shall we move to the story that came half-placed in our voting, which uh, was... Black Orchid. It was. Now, I really like this one. Black Orchid. Mm. Which is, for why? Two um, misses. <laughs> well, yeah, that doesn't hurt.
2: <laughs> Um and
0: Deacon's got pretty good legs as well. But
2: anyway, um no, I think it's I love the historicals and am I right in saying this is the last proper historical, i.e. no aliens involved.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well you can't really say last yeah, Wikipedia,
1: So yeah, Wikipedia actually states um uh, countryside in torture being the next Doctor Who related non sci fi Yeah story. I guess so. So there's nothing in Doctor Who at all. Wow, that's quite And before that, Highlanders, they're saying.
0: The trouble with Black Orchid is, if you want to... Yes, you can say it's the last historical, but in order for that to be, strictly speaking, true, the historicals would have to have been an ongoing concern. Mm. Whereas, actually, by the time you get to Black Orchid, it's been more than 15 years since the last one.
2: I like that period in history as well. I think it's quite interesting. and I, just, I thought it was a, a great show. I think there's a lot of people who are into Downton Abbey and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they like the sort of stately homes and all that sort of stuff, and it fits in with that.
0: Yes, yeah. Um, oh, I, like, I like the um, relaxed first episode again. Thrown back to uh, Ford of Doomsday, I guess. Yeah. Both Terrence Dudley's, aren't they? Oh, right. Um, I was... In the middle of saying, <laughs> but strictly speaking, you can't say Black Orchid is any historical, on account of the fact that halfway through the story, the Doctor piles everybody into the TARDIS and takes them through a trip. Yeah, yeah. What's that all about? Mm. <laughs> Terence Dudley had come off all creatures, great and small. So
2: it doesn't take him long to get over you know, wandering into the TARDIS, does it? It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, fair enough.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> all a bit of a. Uh, Anti-climax for mm, the uh, mm. people who have suddenly been shown the machine that's bigger on the inside.
2: There's some nice little touches, like when they turn up at the house and uh, the butler or whoever says, Oh, you'll be the doctor then. And they kind of look at each other like, what? Mm. And uh, obviously it's a bit of uh, mistaken identity. Yeah. That's great. Nice nice little touches.
1: All right, I'm thinking the only reason he shows on the TARDIS is to prove that he's a Time Lord.
2: Yeah, I think so, yeah.
1: Why it's a bit over he... the
0: top, isn't it, Really? Yeah. Plus, <laughs> why would you want to prove to a bunch of, you know, early 20th century aristocrats that you're a. Uh, aristocrats? Aristocrats? <laughs> <laughs> Thomas O'Malley. Seriously. Uh, aristocrats that you're a Time Lord. <laughs> How's that going to no. solve anything? Yeah. Oh, I can't have killed it. I'm from outer space. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He can't is, be a murderer. Just come from about outer about space. 30 years after HG Wells wrote War of the Worlds. Mm. <laughs> I don't think so. So mister. Mm. Though that wasn't going to work. The cricket game. We actually get to see him in his pretty yeah. whites yeah. playing cricket. Yep. Yeah. And uh, bowling somebody else. Yeah,
2: he's a pretty mean bowler.
0: Well, he wasn't that one particular time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just happened to catch on camera. No, but it was nice to see it. And uh, some decent actors in it, and, it, you know, it's like Ford of Doomsday. It plays along quite nicely. It's not remotely unpleasant to watch. Mm. And the
1: first of the two-parters as well. Yeah,
0: but I think the problem with Black Orchid is that,
1: precisely that,
0: as the first of the two-parters, it didn't really have anything of a story... Ford of Doomsday did have a bit of a story and filled it with a lot of character. Mm. Black Orchid has a lot of character, but not really a story. I mean, the entire plot is dispensed with in about six of those minutes of screen time. Mm. And, you know, apart from the bit at the end where he's on the top of the building and the bit at the end of the first episode where you've got the mistaken identity again Mm. with a clown outfit... The rest of it might just have been the Doctor and go hanging around and Wasn't it a really slim back.
1: Target novel as well?
0: And I think it was quite, I think it was the same size as the others, Oh, was it fair, padded, bigger padded than out, some. Yeah. <clears throat> Never read it. That was in the period when Target... Good cover. See, yeah, the cover was okay. It was one of the first ones that didn't have a photograph of Peter Davison on the front.
1: Yeah. Well, like Time Flight. I think in Lee's original comments he says about how even the Target novel of Time Flight had a corrupt cover it does
0: mm. yeah The the we'll, we'll talk
1: about Target another
0: time and yes. we'll probably go over all but that but it's part of
1: my memories
0: any more thoughts about Black Orchid the dancing the eating yeah yeah
2: any How character you want particularly to in his face <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah Tegan was a pretty good dancer wasn't she good and Adric Mark? oh yeah Adric yeah 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 he spends <laughs> the entire time stuffing his face doesn't he
0: <laughs> He does, that's fair <laughs> enough. He
2: must have been happy at least to get out of his gym jams for a bit. I can't remember what he wears now. They have the fancy dress party, don't they?
3: Um, oh, God, what does he wear
1: yeah. again?
0: Yeah.
1: I has got, got the Harlequin outfit, did not
0: he? Yeah. And this is obviously dressed the same as the other Sarah Sutton. Yep. And Tegan's in a sort of flowery thing. I can't gosh. remember what Adrian wears. He I probably think... just wears his mask
1: uniform. That's about all he does wear, really, isn't it? the memory not only cheats it protects
0: yes Um, Lee said I don't know why I like this so much but I do I think the 20s setting is one that I love the doctor playing cricket never interested me but I could see he was having fun bless him Tegan looks pretty nice in this one and her Charleston is great Adric on the other hand is a food stuffing (laughs) twit when does he go I love the opening scenes on the railway platform. I'm surprised Doctor Who has never, done, has never done more stories in old-fashioned stations or on trains, in fact. Time they did one on the Siberian Express or a steam engine travelling through the Yorkshire Moors. But there you go. That's mm. Lee's thoughts for Black Orchid. He wants them to do more stories on trains.
1: Well, b- brave in as much as it was purely historical. I think, yeah. So to speak, I mean, it's still a bit fantastical with a guy coming out of the jungle, with his tongue cut off. But you know,
0: I think, yeah. Do you know my problem with this? As I've stated before, is the fact that as a, for a whodunit, you don't give away in the opening scene of the story who does it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, unless you're Columbo. Yeah, quite. But it doesn't really work in that respect mm. because it's about a mystery, and. It's got no mystery in it. Mm. But the other thing I was going to say about Black Orchid is, you know, it's um, John Nathan Turner and Terence Dudley, who had been working together on All Creatures, Great and Small, which was set between the wars. It was, yeah. yeah, yeah. So here they are, just going back to the same period and going over the same ground again. And even the lead actor is one of the actors from All Creatures Great and Small. Mm. So although it never struck me at the time, it's basically an All Creatures Great and Small reunion. It
1: is. At least I'm got an exploding cow. It's even,
0: <laughs> but it's got an alien called Tricky Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Mrs. Pumphrey.
0: Aye. Lee's here, he's about to plug himself in.
1: I yeah, I don't know whether you can, can I?
0: This is we'll going to be... We'll share a mic. This is the most shambolic podcast we've ever done. Uh, moving on to... Well, we're talking about an
1: inconsistent series, so let's... Oh, consistent. This
2: is, this is now getting to one of JR's so favourites. you've missed
1: Time Flight. You've missed Four to Doomsday.
2: But you're here just in time for The Visitation.
1: Oh, that's okay. Yeah, you can talk more about The Visitation. I don't know a lot about it.
2: Written by Eric
0: Stewart. <coughs> <P>. Eric P. <laughs> <laughs> Um... <clears throat> Hello, you know, boys. Hello, Lee. <laughs> At the time the visitation turned up, it was a breath of fresh air. I remember really
2: liking it as a kid.
3: I remember loving it as a kid. Yeah, and me too. Did you like it, Simon? Was Richard it Mace, bag? who
2: I didn't actually realise. I, I found was... it a bit
3: dull. Oh, did
0: you? <clears <clears <throat> as a kid.
1: Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, quite yeah. possibly. Um, I like. I kind of like the robot. I like the design of the. The Disco Robot. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: The Disco Robot is awful. That's the worst <laughs> thing in the entire story.
1: <laughs> and I quite like the Terraleptils.
0: Oh yeah, the Terraleptils yeah. are great. I'm, on, yeah. I'm on the kid. demise
1: of the sonic screwdriver. Mm. When you're a kid, the Terraleptils and the setting,
0: it was like a throwback to the 1970s again. Mm. The mid-70s and the early 70s yeah. when Doctor Who was good.
3: Almost like a Silurians episode, Missing.
0: Or the Time Warrior. Yeah. But it's got the same story of the as the Time Warrior. And it was. It was like that. It was like, wow, they've suddenly rediscovered what was good about Doctor Who. And they've done it again. But then, yeah,
3: you know, repeated
0: yeah. viewings and all this time later. Yeah. It does strike you. It is a particularly dull story. There's only one character in it, apart from the alien, who's not, you know, part of the
3: Doctor's entourage. And, and they even, was that the, sorry, that was that the um, story where they had the ending exactly the same as another one, where they were about to behead the Doctor? Oh, yeah. And he goes, oh, no, not again. Yes. Oh, that's, you know, you've run out of ideas when you have to do that twice in the same Well, season. no, it
0: wasn't that they'd run out of ideas. It was that Eric Sayward wrote this script, not having had any um, opportunity to see any of the other scripts in the series. Oh, okay. <laughs> and when they took it before the cameras, somebody pointed out, oh, hang on, we did this in the last story as Mm. well. And by that time, it was far too late because the camera's actually pointing at them. Far too late to change it to something else. So he says, oh, just better put a line in there about, oh, no, not again, and we might get away with it.
3: Well, they could have done that. They could have just lined him up and, you know, maybe tried to shoot him or arrows or something or burn him like a wicker man or something. That that wouldn't have taken much. A few bits of straw and a match. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure
0: that would have worked. Mark, you were about to make an interesting point about Richard Mace. Yeah, I
2: remember as a kid thinking he was really cool, and um, I don't think I'd realised that he was in on the buses because that didn't really register on my uh, on tele-viewing habits at the time.
1: <laughs> oh, that's not the point I thought you were going to make. No, go on. <laughs> okay, yeah, I do remember thinking, God, he could talk posh.
2: Go then, JR, what's what's, what's your...
1: <laughs> I hate it when I say things and everything goes quiet. I really do. <laughs> That's been happening all night so far. Well,
3: that's just waiting for people to laugh at home so that, you know. Yeah, it's, we're it's giving them magic. space, yeah. Comedy pause.
0: Yeah. Uh, Eric Sayward got the job on account of two radio plays he'd written, and I think that was all he had written by that point, and his two radio plays were about a character called Richard Mace. And then he writes Doctor Who, and he puts the four regular characters in, and An Alien and Richard Mace. I think we should have been tipped a nod then that something wasn't going to be right, shouldn't we?
2: Well, oh, Rusty Davis likes to use the, the name Tyler all over the place, doesn't he? He's <clears> used, <throat> that, used that numerous times in various things he's written.
0: I'm not saying he used the name of the character, Mark. I'm mm. saying it was the character from the radio stories. The exact same character? Yes, it was this oh, character. You, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dickface. <I'm... Mate. laughs> I think you
2: kind of <laughs> missed my point there, Mark. Sorry, yeah, I he think I am, yeah. He didn't just the name. He just took the character from the oh, radio story okay. and put it in oh, okay. the TV how's it feel? How's Cut and paste. How's it feel? to be me, Mark? <laughs> um, I can't remember.
0: <laughs> oh, dear.
3: No, Richard Mace. Uh, who was the actor? What was his name? Um, Anybody remember the guy? We all know he is really oh, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. But I he's, think. he's had such a fruity voice. Yeah. And I think it didn't matter what the, the you know, the script was or the narrative... Necessarily, you know, it was a bit kind of over the top, a bit silly, but he, he pulled it off so well. I just I, all I kept mm. thinking through that was, I want him to be another companion. Please leave Adric there. <laughs> but it didn't happen.
0: Michael Robbins, Michael Robbins, well oh, done. I had to really search my brain for yeah, that. Yeah, just... or
2: the program guide,
0: <laughs> which just happens to be sitting on the table in front of us. Um, Yeah, he was good. The actor was good. Mm. He actually gave a performance. That I think it was either the director or the producer hated and really thought was going to unbalance the production. Too hammy. Maybe so, but they let him do it. And actually, when it came to, you know, seeing it on screen, it worked because actually Mm. it gave the story a bit of colour that Mm. otherwise was pretty much lacking, to be honest. But it also
3: made sense because he was an actor within the actual narrative. Yeah, absolutely. So therefore he's going so to he talk like this yeah. or like, Yeah, exactly.
0: Like um, in Talons of Wang Chiang. Yeah,
3: exactly. So, and,
0: you know, I've been... So, yeah, it worked, but the trouble was with that story, you didn't get to see anybody else, apart from in the prologue sequence at the start, the one that was lifted virtually line for line from Time Warrior. But you know what I'm saying? You didn't. Oh, yeah. You didn't see <laughs> mm. any threats... Really? You didn't see any... Uh, everybody who was in it was already under the aliens' control.
3: Was it supposed to be a mystery? I can't remember. Are we? Are we supposed to be unravelling this as we, as we go, as we're watching it? Or was it really in your face and like, right, we're in an invasion? Okay. Trying no, to the first head episode the was
0: a mystery before you found out why and what. Yes. But then at the start of episode two, you get to see the rats and the aliens. So you know what the aliens are doing with the rats. Yeah. And from then on, it's just trying to stop them, I guess.
3: What were they doing? Injecting them with... Bubonic no, plague. plague. yeah. And... Oh, yeah, plague. It was. Oh, it's all coming back now. Visitation.
0: But the trouble was, you've got three aliens in a cellar, two of whom don't even speak. <laughs> you know, it's not much of an invasion. You got away with it in the Zygons because they were actually getting out there and <laughs> running around the countryside. But in the visitation, they just in the cellar
3: hang on I might argue that they, there's a better invasion plan than leptils because if you're going to inject all the rats all the local kind of furry geezers with plague uh, you know it'll do the job for you you can just sit back and you know have a cup of uh, coke the and Zygons a, weren't invading dying. they crashed oh ok but Which, there was, they weren't as effective though it was a great story taking over a few bodies and things well they had the Loch Ness Monster oh yeah <laughs> forgot about the skeleton.
0: hmm Go back, Andy. The Muppet. Back to the box, Lee. Um,
3: It's sweaty in the box. uh,
0: I love this one, even though it is clunky, from its storytelling to its acting and its plotting. Maybe I am a sucker for the medieval times and historicals with aliens involved. The pteroleptals are a great alien, but it doesn't make sense that they are builders of art and beauty with those flappy fish fingers of theirs. (laughs) The actor should have been a companion, as he was excellent and proper funny.
3: Do you know what? You, if you've been I'm read- reading out what Lee wrote. You're reading today, it out isn't. like it's a four-year-old writing to Blue Peter.
0: <laughs> but that's how you write it. That's true. The android.
3: <laughs> I really like
0: it. The android was dressed as death for the same reason the cowboy in Town Called Mercy was dressed, just because it looked cool. No, the android was dressed as death to scare the bejesus out of the local populace who would still have been scared of somebody dressed as death at this point. A reference cool. to... The Seventh Seal. Um, it was just as frightening to the locals as it was. I love the design of that robot, though. So bring it back. Fire in Pudding Lane. Don't, Doctor, you naughty fixed point, you. That's interesting.
1: <laughs> Let's not forget it was the serial that was uh, featured in Making of a Television Series, that book. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. And that's most of my memories of that story are from that book. Markoid?
2: don't think I ever read that
1: one. Oh, really? I might have a spare mm-hmm. copy. I think mm-hmm. I've got it in hardback and paperback for some weird reason. So you may be lucky and
0: you might end up with might a copy get a of end. It. Yeah, it. It's a bit irrelevant these days, though.
3: Well, I still
1: it still is nice. I had it, yeah. And, of course, the famous outtake.
3: Yeah. Terrible had- cover, though. All those target novels. Did you get to that? Did you speak about that? Oh, yeah. yeah
1: it has yeah. been mentioned, oh, yeah. It was the first novel that came out, wasn't it? I do remember it was the first Peter Davison. Yes, it was. Yeah.
0: And, of course, it was the first story that they issued publicity photos from. So all the early Peter Davison publicity photos were from the shoot of The, in- the Visitation.
1: And what do, what did we say was the story? Was it The Visitation? Was The I think it was, Or was it Castrovalva? Castrovalva. Castrovalva.
0: Yeah, that was a bit of a misstep. It should have been a visitation, perhaps. Um, I was going to say, the fire in Pudding Lane. Mm. It's a bit reminiscent of the end of the Romans, actually, Mm. where it turns out the Doctor's in some ways responsible for the great fire of Rome. But the thing was, it was also the start of Eric Sayward's little mini-fixation with... Uh, the thing about Doctor Who is it must tie in with a big historical event and it must transpire that it was science fiction that caused this historical event, you know, to happen. Mm. So two stories in a row he writes this and ends up with, you know, a big thing from history being caused by aliens. In this instance, the Great Fire of London. And then two stories further on down the line and the extinction of the dinosaurs is caused by, you know, a an annoying little brat in a spaceship. Mm. <laughs> But you know it's like he he didn't know what he was doing when he came to write Doctor Who he'd never seen Doctor Who his girlfriend told him about the one story she remembered from when she was a kid which was the Time Warrior and basically he just wrote the Time Warrior through the prism of these two radio plays he'd written and these two radio plays I'm not sure if they were one man plays but I have a feeling they might well have been so basically <clears throat> it's just the doctor and this one character, and his little fixation with, you know, how do you make the science fiction in the Doctor Who work? Oh, you tie it in with history by, you know, given the science, fiction. and it's just it's such
3: a narrow-minded view mm. of what Doctor Who should be. The, really, that happens a lot in the new series as well, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah which is a bit too much. Again, I, I like the Tom Baker thing where he just wanders in any part of the history. Messes around, there's an invasion, and then he wanders out again, and you don't really know whether that's, you know, that, whether that could be like a, a, a taken from a, a true story, like the image of Fendal could have that could have been a proper story about a skull being found, blah blah blah, might have been a real story, and they could have played on that, but he didn't. He just it was just purely made up. It was good storytelling. You Whereas mean yes. Sayward was just kind of lazy, I think, in that respect.
0: Well, the thing about the new series, You're lazy you, Sayward, but the, the new series would tie it in with people rather than events.
3: Yeah, that's true. But with the events hanging on in the background.
0: Yeah, well, the events like they they did the Pompeii one, right? That's fair
3: enough. But Mm -hmm. most of the other ones are about people rather
0: than events. And, you know, that gives you a more three-dimensional approach to doing Mm -hmm. history. Because if you're going to do an entire four-part story and just tie it to one specific moment as opposed to people, uh, then it kind of...
3: It doesn't... So like the day and the moon, it had a, this moment of going up to the moon and it being the, um, what's the what's the Latin phrase? Catalysts. Yeah. Uh, um, tying up the loose ends. The ending. Resolution? Resolution, that will do. <laughs> it wasn't the word I'm looking for, but. moon. Um, yeah, but it's no. it's just, it's just there. I mean, it's really kind of like, oh, that's the moon and their landing and the silence is going to be, you know, kind of destroyed by this idea of, of the moon landing, but like you say it is mostly about people i suppose not yeah there's no yeah. way you're going to get that in the 80s that kind of character depth
0: well you don't get uh, well apart from the character from the radio plays richard mace you was don't that get any character in the BBC play tools.
3: was it or was it just like a fan play what no
0: it? bbc no it wasn't doctor who plays
3: just a completely different thing. yeah i wasn't sure what where oh, no, richard no, no, mace no, he came he just from.
0: wrote two two plays for the radio to right. like half an hour monologues or something like uh, that okay and that's all he had done prior to Doctor Who. And that's what they, somebody passed his name on to John Nathan Turner and he said, okay, give us a pitch. Mm. So Eric Saywood You're bitter, said, aren't you? <laughs> no, 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 I'm just, I'm just pointing out how it happened. And then Eric Saywood sort of says to his girlfriend, I've never seen Doctor Who, what, what do I pitch them? And she told him a story she'd remembered from when she was a kid and he went in and pitched them that. And, you know, that's how it, that's how it came to be. No, I I said at the start when we started talking about Visitation, actually, at the time, it felt like a breath of fresh air. Because the three stories that went before it inspire the fact that now I prefer all three of them to the Visitation, because the Visitation is so lacking in depth, I don't think it lives as well. Whereas Castrovalva, Fort of Doomsday and Kinder got a lot more going for them in terms of characters and acting, and story as well, actually. So the visitation hasn't lived on very well. But at the time, it was great. Right. Which brings us on to. Well, yeah, uh, we're at first place now because two stories in our voting tied. And, uh, and, you know, being a mathematical genius myself, I decided the order that we would speak about these stories via the tossing. Pardon? The tossing of a coin.
1: Let's do it. <laughs>
0: He's <coughs> <laughs> <It's> got money. <laughs> no, I think you're missing the point, Lee. He's already done it.
1: Virtual coin.
0: Oh, you've done it, have you? Yeah, I think... <laughs> yeah. As somebody who works in a library, when I say something like, I decided, yeah. I would have toss imagined times. that you would have picked up on that having already happened.
3: I said I said decided to toss a coin. In other words, you were going to do it now.
0: No, I decided by the tossing of a coin.
3: Something wicked this way comes.
0: Ray... Of the
3: pradberries. Shakespeare, even. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, in. what was it, number two?
0: Well, no, we don't have a number two. That's the point. <laughs>
3: Which one first?
0: Then? Okay, we're going to talk about no. Let's <laughs> let's see if Lee <laughs> can recognise the story we're about to talk about from uh, what he wrote about it. Studio sets not never convinced me, even as a Kinder. young lad. <laughs> I liked Tegan's Possession. That was effective and disturbing. Liked the silly machines that Adric sets off. Silly boy. And that line, people, you can't mend people, is one of my favourite lines. That is actually brilliant. It is classic. This is my standout favourite of the season.
3: By a country mile. Mm, Is it because it's got that depth? It's got that you know, kind of religious bent to it and all kinds of other stuff going on. That's a bit even over the even necessarily,
0: but yes, there's that to it as well. i tell you what, before we get into that... <laughs> well, so I, I was, I've
1: only recently watched it and I'm just thinking about the funny bits. I'll go on about that later. The funny bits? Oh, it's a hilarious bit. But which, Personally. Go on then, you've just brought it up. Sorry. You know the bit uh, that they find the, um, mus- the hanging crystals, the musical yeah. crystals, yeah. which I think is brilliant the way the guy... Dubs in the synth and what have you, it does actually have a crystalline sound to it. Um, Adric is messing around with them, literally going all the way over. And why it makes me laugh, it's just like one of my daughters when they're doing something they know they shouldn't be, and they look back, and there's that moment where you come towards them and they literally pelt off. And there's a bit where (laughs) Peter Davidson goes. Adric! And runs through the crystals, and Adric's in the middle of doing this. Noise <laughs> <laughs> and literally runs backwards away from him like a scolded child. And yeah. absolute that is the tone of the whole episode. He's incredibly unpopular with all of them. No one's got a nice word to say about Adric in that in that story. It is brilliant. He even goes I know he's trying to trick the guys, but he even goes over to the other side. Yeah. And um and then he gets in that machine and he can't control it. He starts firing <laughs> off at everyone. Honestly, he's a walking, blinking. Disaster. Disaster. Yeah, yeah. It is hilarious. That is Adric's best story by far. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. But the, the weird thing is. Oh, plus the, what was going on in the background where he's talking. What did he say to the other actor? That's the well known Matthew Waterhouse <sighs> thing, isn't it? That's a complete misunderstanding. Yeah, that's been told yeah. many times. Oh, well, that's one of those mind.
0: stories that's been blown out of all proportion and has <laughs> gone into legend. Yeah, well, we'll come to it in a second. But I was going to—you made a point that actually comes back to a more serious point in this story. Adrig is off being a un Nissa's off having a snooze. Tegan's off <laughs> Tegan's off being a un So in this story, the Doctor doesn't have any companions.
2: But he's got Nerys Hughes.
0: And he ends up teamed with Neris Hughes on account of it. And she's took... brilliant. Yeah, she is. But they, here's the point. What a weird thing to do. The Doctor doesn't very often have three companions, which is a stupid number of companions to have, unless they've all got a function in the story... But in this story, he gets all three companions taken away from him. What a weird thing to do. Mm. Why was that?
3: What was going on in that writer's head? Was he just saying, do you know what? I can't do anything with these geezers. Apart well, from Tegan, has got uh, a little bit of oomph."
0: Well, the, the problem is, of course, that writer was not a Doctor Who writer. Mm. In other words, he'd never written for Doctor Who before. And when they asked him for a story, he didn't write a Doctor Who story. He just wrote a story that happened to have those characters in it. So, you know, Tegan, he needs somebody to be possessed. So obviously you pick one of the regulars. Then he needed somebody to, you know, do all the stupid stuff. So obviously... <laughs> <laughs> so obviously he picked the other regular. But he's got nothing... <laughs> but because he's put the character of Nerys Hughes in, he's got nothing for Nissa to do. So he sidelines Nyssa because you couldn't have given Nyssa the stuff that Nerys Hughes gets to do, to do. Because Nyssa wouldn't have known. Is there was, no
1: practical reason why Nyssa's side, sidelined?
0: Because he didn't have anything for the character to do. Simple as that. There mm. was a myth at one point that she was taken out because her contract was only for X number of episodes, but it transpired that that was a myth. And besides, if you were taking her out because you, know, you didn't want her in too many episodes, you would have taken her out for the two-parter and you would have had a going into sleep at the end of the four-parter before and coming back out of it. St- you wouldn't put her in the first 30 seconds of the first episode and the last 30 seconds of the last episode because you were trying to get her out of the <laughs> story know, for contractual I've reasons. I've just thought of
1: another parallel. Sorry, I'm mentioning <laughs> Star Wars again, but Adric going on, around in that, that machine, just firing off at everyone, reminds me of Anakin Skywalker in The Phantom Menace. <laughs> when he gets in that, yeah. talk about unpopular characters.
3: About uh, Anakin's only about nine and that, so that's about Adric's mental age, isn't
0: it? Yeah. And speaking of people with a low mental age, here are you two sharing a microphone and sitting as far away from one (laughs) another as you possibly can. Why don't you just sit a little bit closer? (laughs) Oh, yes. Have a nice little cuddle. Daddy. Oh, that's better. (laughs) Mm.
2: I'm not looking anymore. No, I really like Kinder. Neris Hughes is fantastic. Simon is is brilliant. Oh, as absolutely yeah.
0: fantastic. And Richard Todd is as well. Mm. They both play characters who've become unhinged by what's going on mm. and they both play it completely differently from one another. But they also both play it with completely 100% conviction and they're
1: both totally convinced. And Adrian Mills without a comedy vegetable as well. And as yeah. a kid, as a
0: kid, Kinder... Probably came across as the rubbish one of the season, no?
1: Yeah, possibly. Uh, yeah,
0: it was. Do
1: you know the snake isn't anywhere near as bad as everyone says. It's the same old thing.
0: Was that because you were watching the special yeah, edition I was with the, the, CG the uh, CGI snake? No, just kidding, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> the um, I remember
2: being quite freaked out by the um, the part where they show you the Mara inside Tegan's mind. And it all goes a bit sort of monochrome. And yeah, yeah. That was pretty cool.
0: Oh, the guy who played the, you know, Jester character. The Yeah, uh, he was in the bill, wasn't he? Was he?
1: Yeah.
2: He was very. Most
1: scary. of the cast of Doctor Who have been in the bill, weren't
2: they? Yeah, he was um, Reg in the bill. The guy oh, who used to sit Reg. on the counter here. Yeah. And the woman oh. was uh, in EastEnders.
1: I remember, oh, yeah. I I'm going up to watching something on ITV now. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about.
0: The story, Kinder, came last in the Doctor Who magazine season poll
3: that year. Did it? Yeah. I I remember actually liking it as a kid, not understanding bits of it, but I remember enjoying it. I, I especially loved the guy going mental.
0: I think the first yeah. thing... He was great. Yeah, I think for a lot of kids, and particularly as people who were voting in this, were probably in their teens by now, as I was. And I think when you were at that sort of... Or i I was just about to be... And I think when you're at that age, the things you notice are the really not very effective jungle sets, the -the over-the-top acting, and the really cardboardy, papier-mâché-looking snake at the end. Whereas, as an adult, that over-the-top acting is not really over-the-top at all. It's just thoroughly convincing acting. It's a performance that portrays what's actually happening to those characters Mm. as a kid you don't understand what's happening to those characters Mm. so it just seems like they're going over the top but as an adult you can buy into it
1: i love the city you build yeah oh yeah
0: oh there's some (laughs) really deep stuff dark stuff in that story great stuff in
1: that story great
0: the snake you get away with it as an adult because it's a metaphorical snake so why should it look real and the jungle says Again, the whole story is like what I was saying about Paradise Towers when we did the Sylvester McCoy podcast, right? Carry on. <laughs> the whole point of the story is that it works on several levels. And so you don't need a realistic looking jungle because basically it the jungle that represents a stage for the story to unfold on. And so all you need is the stage for the story to unfold on. So you've almost, by accident even, literally got your metaphor made real. Uh, yeah,
3: I mean, I, I know where you're coming from with that. It, it does look like it'd be a, you know, you can go see it as a play, a theatre play. You could have staged it on a the, on the theatre stage easily, I think. But um, it was supposed to be an alien planet, and all I could see was, you know, I almost see the cables underneath the jungle running to the lights. It just looked like the Blue Peter. At, oh, it uh, did, and that's. I why. think it was probably the same studio, wasn't it? And that's
0: why people hated
3: it. Yeah, it which is a. Sh- that's the only thing, but I, I love the whole Kinder experience. Unlike the chocolate. Okay. Okay. I'll have that mic back off you. I think. <laughs> 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 I love the
1: priestess as well. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. Did I see Dibber as well? The actor who played Dibber? um I'm fairly sure I saw him. Anyway, I'll, I'll have a look later. Hiding in the bushes in the background or what? It was literally. He was literally in the bushes at the background.
3: But it looked just like him, but much younger. Was Glitz with him? No. Because he usually comes a pair, as we know. It's true. Neris.
0: And moving swiftly along.
1: <laughs> but the priestess was brilliant, wasn't she? And I yeah, love the idea yes. of her passing everything on to the young girl mm. as well. That was fantastic. The-, the whole...
0: The cliffhanger to episode three. Which was... The one where she shows him what's happening. Yes. And you literally, again, get the metaphor made real, almost. Mm. And then, you know, it's almost a bit like the... Uh, oh, I've got a flat flattening battery. <laughs> it reminded me, again, though, when Christopher Bailey came back the following year and did Snake Dance, the... Um, You've got the crystal ball uh, cliffhanger in Snake Dance, right? Yeah. And in Kinder, also, you had the episode two cliffhanger, which was the opening of the box, right? And that was one of the most effective cliffhangers, I think, of the entire 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the resolution to that cliffhanger, when you come in at the start of episode three, and it literally is just a little yeah, snake comes out, a little yeah. sort of rubber snake. Well, that was just quite shocking, and you can understand why, like, 12-year-olds, and probably why 8-year-olds wouldn't get that.
1: But as an adult, it's so much better. And the Doctor getting called idiot as well. It's brilliant. (laughs) It's lovely.
0: Okay, shall we uh, move on to the other story that also got voted top?
3: Which is? Well, we'll take a flying guess. <clears throat> I don't know, Brain and Morbius was that the wrong season. I'll give Lee a clue. Who wrote it, JL? Yeah. Eric. Eric Stewart. Yes. What, you said no, that was one of the top ones? Are we number talking one. about Earthshock? Yeah. Wow.
0: What else was going to be, apart from Kinder and Earthshock, what else was going to be number one in this season? I don't know. Where
3: did I put Earthshock? I
0: can't remember now. Uh, probably one. Wow. Or
3: maybe two. Yeah. Why um, did I do that? Well, what do you prefer to Earthshock? Uh, probably Kinder, thinking about it now. Well, to swap yeah, it that's why Earthshock would have been one or two. Okay, I don't get the mathematics. You're the genius here. So what's so great about Earthshock, then?
0: Well, that's what we're here to talk about. What was so
3: great about yeah, Earthshock? that was my question, so throwing it out to the forum here.
0: Okay.
2: Well, this is obviously the days before spoilers and internet forums and stuff like that, so as a kid watching it on broadcast for the first time, Cybermen turn up at the end of the first episode, I go absolutely bonkers.
1: Mm-hmm. It was great. I remember literally jumping up and down. Yeah. like, Cybermen! It's a Cybermen! <laughs> Dad, it's a Cybermen! Yeah. And they were doing everything the Cybermen should be doing, like bursting out of pods. And yeah. Coming out of cellophane and things like that. And uh, getting frozen in the middle of the doors and and uh, being allergic to gold. And just just brilliant. Everything... Everything you probably read, yeah. because obviously they hadn't appeared since Revenge of the Sidemen, had they? So a lot of what you knew about Sidemen, again, was from Target novels and that sort of thing. What so.
0: worked in a shock that didn't work in Attack of the Sidemen was, here they are in a spaceship. Yeah. It seems like a far more natural environment for them, because, you know, walking around... I mean, the r- sewers in Attack was a reference back to the invasion, yeah, yeah. fair enough, but I think in colour...
1: Mm.
0: It just doesn't come across so well. And the sets for the. I think they lit it quite well. I know we should be talking about Earthshot, but yeah. No, we can talk about it and mm. we can go off at a tangent. Mm. Yeah, they did, but I just don't think it comes across in colour. In the black mm. and white, that looks really spooky. Yeah. And in the colour. But on the spaceship, it works. Yeah. Which is why Earthshot works. Mm. It's because it gives you this cliffhanger. That really, you know, really shocks you. Mm. And then it pays off on it for the next three episodes. Mm. Mm. You know, so many times you'll have a cliffhanger which will reveal something that'll make you go, who, and then for the next three episodes you'll go, ah, but on this occasion <laughs> it paid off on it. Yeah. Uh, is this Peter Grimwade 1? It is, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. I, th- I seem to recall at the time this story had... More scenes per episode than any other. More scenes per episode than was usual mm-hmm. in Doctor Who.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Which probably means nothing to you. Because I'm just getting... It means at... a lot well, of work. It would give pace, wouldn't it? Yeah. I was about to say that, in you know, pace. It must have been a grueling yeah.
2: schedule, all the setups and what have you.
0: Well, no, this is the point I was going to make. You can... Yes, it's a bit, a bit harder work. But the point is, if you've got say, six things to accomplish in one set and six things to accomplish in another set, you can either film all those six things as one scene or you can film them and then intercut with with the ones from the other, which means that in your scene breakdown, in the script, you've got 80 scenes in a 25-minute episode as opposed to 15 scenes in a 25-minute episode. And yes, it gives you the pace without necessarily being that much harder work. A bit harder work, but not that much. But it was unusual for Doctor Who to do that at the time. The first episode, in particular, they're cutting backwards and forwards between Mm. the Doctor in the caves, the team who come down, the rescue team in the caves, and then the people on the surface, and then, of course, at the end, you cut up to the Cybermen. And you've also got, cutting backwards and forwards, to the two androids running around. So you've got a lot of things going on at the same time, but going on simultaneously instead of one after another, which is what you'd usually get in Doctor Who. And that's, I think, even more so than the Cybermen, because as we all know, you can get Cybermen and Daleks back and make a pig's ear of it. Even more than the Cybermen just being in this story, the story itself pays off on the excitement you've generated Mm. by putting them there.
3: Yeah, I think I was a little bit down (laughs) in it when 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 I thought about it and placed it in the rankings. But, um, yeah, I'd forgotten about, you know, the memory cheats. I'd forgotten about the pacing of it, about the editing. And that was something that I quite enjoyed, if I remember right. It did give it some kind of, oh, It
0: feels I've... very modern. I don't think there's a massive Who.
3: story in it, but it certainly just kind of no. rumbles along quickly, doesn't it?
0: Cybermen wake up and yeah, stomp around. Basically.
3: But obviously it was, the, it was the new Cybermen as well. They'd been redesigned. And as a kid, I wasn't looking closely at them saying, oh, they're like, you know, I don't know, Air Force suits or whatever, painted silver. I just thought they were great. I
2: thought they looked really cool.
0: Yeah. Oh, I didn't like
3: them all that much, to be honest. I That's still the pre- old side. yeah, I do prefer yeah. yeah.
2: And as much as I can't stand the music in the Sea Devils, I think Malcolm Clark does a cracking job on Earthshock.
3: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. I bought the CD. That theme he
2: does for them is really good, really effective. Mm.
3: Silver Screen, I think, released the CD mm. with the music on it, and it was very good. But it's not. Well, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but then what is?
0: <laughs> I'm about the old side. Yeah. Thing.
3: Oh, sorry. I did you see
1: that was it? Was it the first time Cybermen had actually carried guns? No, had they no, carried the, guns. In they had the had them in the invasion. Yeah. Oh, had they? Yeah.
3: Yeah, because, yeah. Did they use their little head gun in Earthshock? I can't remember now. No, no. 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 Carrying the other guns instead—it's probably yeah. a good idea that got left yeah. behind, actually, because was a bit of a rubbish way of well, in the time being... they used, Did they used that be before revenge, wasn't it?
0: revenge. They hadn't, had they? It was I don't just think revenge.
3: so. It's also quite convenient that they got
1: that grill on the front, that, like a cheese grater, for mm. you <laughs> want to grate your badge into the into it. That's quite convenient That's as well. Robert it's a bit Holmes like the Santoris thing on the neck, isn't it? <laughs> yeah,
3: Godfrey uh, Holmes is to blame for that. <laughs>
1: They could have forgotten
3: the about the yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a really terrible idea, wasn't it?
0: That was an introduction that could have also been out-reduced.
3: Very quickly. Yeah. Because yeah, the new series doesn't have it at all. And I doubt yeah. if the new Cybermen, which I don't think are from Cybers Industries, are going to have it either, are they? They've Ooh. got a grill in the front, have they?
0: No. We're past Cybers Industries now, anyway.
3: Yeah, that's old hat, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, talking of which, going off on a complete tangent, people were saying in this podcast a couple of episodes ago or so, why haven't we seen a Cybermen Genesis story spare parts on yeah. the telly like we saw Genesis of the Daleks? But we saw Rise of the Cybermen. That was a Cyberman Genesis story.
3: It was, and it was the alternative. It was the parallel universe mm. version. So we yeah, still but, but that was space. the point. We still got space for this universe um, to have a Genesis story too.
0: Well, yeah, but I think you this don't is something... it. That's the point. I yeah. the idea was they showed us the Rise of the Cybermen because the Cybermen had been around for so long that to go back and show the genesis of our universe Cybermen would have been.
2: It would have been something for the old fans, wouldn't it? Really? Yeah, it would for have just been
3: irrelevant. It. I'm not sure they'd be able to pull it off necessarily because the old ones, you know, looking like cloth. To us, it's quite creepy, but to the kids of today, might be going, hmm. But I don't know, you might be able to pull it off. I think Spare Parts is such a creepy and fantastic little story. Mm. You could definitely put that up on screen, Uh, apart from the ending where, I'm not going to spoil it, but I thought the ending was terrible, where it defeated the main kind of brain, as it were. But um, yeah, no, generally speaking, it's a really creepy, weird and sad story. That could really work. Would it translate to telly? Yeah, Definitely.
0: Okay, I'm going to read you something now. This is what Lee had to say about Earthshock. Earthshock, not as great as I remember it. Fantastic frozen Cyberman in the door. A rubbish barrel reed cast incorrectly. She should have been second in command, so she could have been a drunken pain in the butt for the better captain. Oh, and they should have played roll out the barrel over the closing credits with the Doctor (laughs) and his crew dancing about in the Tardis. Adric, bye-bye.
4: Yeah,
2: Beryl- the she ending. She should have been the tea
1: yeah. lady, shouldn't she? Beryl Reed with a fag hanging out. Of I remember
2: him. being really affected by that as a kid because the ending. Obviously, that was a big
0: deal. Yeah, that was completely unexpected.
3: Mm. I nearly cried. All right, as a kid, you don't expect a companion to die, no matter how much I didn't like Adric. So
0: your comment about roll out
3: the, the barrel, barrel is, you. is 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 yeah, it's me now as an old man being really vindictive against Adric. <laughs>
0: In other words, that's you disguising the fact that you were so affected by it. I was really
3: affected by it because it wasn't because he died and he was holding his little brother's pair of pants, or whatever it was he had in his hand, going, "I'm going to die. I made a mistake." And you know I, that wasn't the problem. The thing is, was the the fact that we knew he was dead, and then they didn't play any music at the end. That was what affected me. I was like, "Oh my god, he really is properly dead. He's not coming back. There's no rescuing him. That's a companion dead, eh?" They don't die, do they, companions? I, I was completely shocked. So then it upped the game. I thought any one of them could go now. Nyssa could die in a, you know, cheese trap thing or maybe, you in know. In her smalls, she could Tegan die. Teagan could fall into a grinder. Anything could have happened. Anything. Make it up. Oh. Who's got their phone on? <laughs> Anything could happen. Anything. <laughs> um, Mark, kick him in the balls, will
0: you? Do we have the, or should we not? a discussion about whether that was the first ever companion death in Doctor Who was Caterina a companion mm, not in my book Sorry. she was in one one third of one story does no. that make her a companion
3: no I, I treat a companion that as somebody that's been in one story and then hops over and does another story and that's at least a companion isn't you've it? got to at least do two stories yeah something you? like that Well,
0: <laughs> so the two companion deaths in the Daleks master plan
3: they're not companions no. Adric was. He was there for a long time.
0: Yeah. That was, so, you know. Yeah. And, yeah Anybody think it was the wrong thing to do?
3: Oh, what? Getting rid of Adric or a death of a companion? A
0: companion death.
3: Right. Getting rid of Adric, no. Companion death of Adric, no. Companion death,
0: yes. I did actually. You thought it was the wrong thing to do? Yeah. I think
3: it's I just came away think I was just I don't know, I was really affected by it and I just thought I don't don't wanna I don't want have this in my Doctor Who. This, the was,
0: this was Eric Saywood writing a dark X rated movie influenced adult version of Doctor Who the way he saw it and he kills off a companion at the end to hammer the point home that he wants Doctor Who to be more like alien, then he wants it to be like Forbidden Planet. And to my money... You know, at the time it was really effective, and that story was a very effective story, but with the benefit of hindsight, it just looks to me like a writer getting carried away with himself.
2: And he keeps going in uh, Attack of the Sidemen, doesn't he? Just ups the sort of sadism and
0: violence and Oh, well, most of the characters in Tag of the Sidemen are just there to die in a nasty way. Mm. But we'll come to that when we come to season 22, I guess.
1: But yeah, you're right. I don't think it's a bad idea as far as um, reinstating some of the gravitas of someone like the Sidemen that, that somebody can cop it.
0: Well, yeah, you kill off the guest characters who've come in for the episode. Mm. You know, if you're six... And you have never seen Doctor Who before. Mm. And you've got an older brother who's nine who says, hey, I've been watching this programme for the last five years. It's mm. brilliant. You should check it out. And you've got a dad who says, oh, yeah, that's the one with the Daleks and the side menu. It's great. It's so much fun. And then you sit down and you watch from Castrovalva and you watch Up As Far As Earthshock and you're six and you're a boy. Who's going to be your favourite character in that series? You're not gonna see bad acting, you're not gonna see bad dialogue, you're gonna see somebody who's a little bit like you, who gets to have all these adventures in time and space, and meet giant snakes and blokes whose faces fall off and <laughs> then you get blown up.
1: The thing is I was that age, and I didn't see it like that. I was no, aff- no, no. I was affected. You by weren't
0: me. that age. You were ten. I suppose. You weren't six or five. No, Doctor Who gets watched by five and six-year-olds.
1: Mm. Okay. It's a fair point. I, it's never occurred to me before. I just, I've just, i always run with the fact that I just thought it was a brilliant decision, and it worked, and it was done really well, regardless of how Sayward carried on afterwards. As a one-off, I thought it was great. But, um, well, as a no, one-off, I, take your point. I thought
0: it was great. And yeah. again, like I say, I was 12. Mm. Looking at it through an adult's eyes, I don't... I wouldn't, if I was doing Doctor Who, I wouldn't put in anything that I know might upset five-year-olds
1: because I, you know that five-year-olds are watching. But then could, would you use the same point against uh Katarina and Sarah Kingdom? I know you're saying they're not technically not companions, but they had... They were just one-story characters.
0: That's what you do in Doctor Who. You kill off the one-story characters mm. and the regulars carry on. The red shirts. But you're not falling into
2: that sort of uh, Mary Whitehouse thing that... She got very upset about the Hinchcliffe era. Um, I know you didn't have companions dying, but you had the Doctor being drowned
0: and what have you. Yeah, but she wasn't talking about... She was talking about something else, wasn't she? She was talking about things that you see in episodes that, uh, you know, very easily influenced small children might then go off and copy afterwards. The Tom Baker drowning thing was the thing that she was most upset by because she could see, you know, six year olds in the bath with their younger brothers who are four or five throttling them in the (laughs) water. Which is a fair point. A lot of people say now they think Mary Wyatt did actually have a fair point when
2: it comes to. She used to annoy the hell out of me, but I think she probably had a fair point when she said it was must have been quite distressing for the younger kids when they see their hero under the water and then they've got to wait a whole week to find out what's going to happen.
0: Usually the cliffhanger will show, you know, the, the actor in a position of peril that mm. they have to get out of. Mm. Like, for instance, at the end of Fort Doomsday and the visitation, when he's about to have his head chopped off. Yeah, But you don't cliffhanger on him having his head chopped <laughs> no. off a <you're> cliffhanger <laughs> on it about to happen yeah, yeah. and the deadly assassin episode mm. two when the train's coming at him and he's trapped and the train's yeah. coming the train's about to hit him mm. but you don't cliffhanger on the train actually hitting him and where episode three of the deadly assassin oversteps the mark is because you're not cliffhangering on him about
3: to get drowned
0: mm. you're cliffhangering on him Drowning.
3: Yeah, if you had if you had Goth coming up and saying, "I'm going to drown you, Doctor," and you just get the eyes of Tom Baker about well, to go into the yeah. water. Yeah, that's the be thing better. is, the
0: way that scene was, he puts his head under the water, and his head comes back up, and then he puts his head back under the water. Mm. Mm. now really? You that's cliffhanger long se- long as scene. he's about to put his head back in the water. Yeah. Not when it's in the water. Yeah, yeah. Because right. you've cliffhangered on the Doctor for all the world, looking like he's just been killed in a. Very nasty and particularly copyable way. Mm. Anyway, we've gone off on a bit of a tangent. Yeah, we here, have a bit. We? Sorry. Um, thoughts on season nineteen as a whole, Lee? Because we have
3: um, it's it's beige, isn't it? I mean, the whole thing is kind of a bit sparse, with a red little trim, bit empty, a little bit not got the guts. It's a bit like a synth synth pop record of the early eighties that wasn't quite hitting the mark. Sorry, there, mate. Sorry, Simon. (laughs) Um, You know, things going digital and from analogue to digital, it's all a bit kind of, you know, what's the word? A bit thin. The whole thing felt thin to me that season. But I did like um, Peter Davison. I don't know why, I just did like him. Um, And I liked his portrayal of the Doctor being vulnerable and I liked all of that. Too many companions. um, Yeah. Beige. Well, we've said Too much variety, not enough
0: consistency.
3: Yeah, that's good. That works. I think
0: it's it's the one season in the entire history of Doctor Who that you can't pin down to having any kind of rationality behind it. You know, whether you like or don't like things like season 22, there's a rationale behind the way it is the way it is. And season 3, which is probably the other season with a similar amount of variety. You can still see why there is that variety in season three. But in season 19, you've just got randomness. Not variety, randomness. And it's yeah. it's like there's... You know, there are nice stories. I think out of the seven stories, I think we've only really said that the one that's a complete disappointment, even Ford to mm-hmm. Doomsday, is entertaining enough. But the thing is what are they for what are they about
3: What's what are they trying to say yeah yeah
0: and you know you've got great things in it like kinder but really you stick kinder in between Ford the doomsday and the visitation and you know as a viewer watching the season as well you're just looking at kinder and going well, what
3: <laughs>
0: do you know what i mean yeah because
3: you're looking at the colorful disco robot <clears throat>
0: It's like somebody like Stephen Moffat or Rusty Davis would have put a story like Kinder in in a particular place in the season. Rusty Davis did this all the time. Every story he put in a season, he put in a season for a reason and in a particular place to, you know, point up something that had happened and
1: something else that was. Can coming. I just ask a question about Kinder? Sorry, and then we can get back to that point. What was the um, uh, the DNA strand things they had around their necks? What was what was the importance of that? Oh, God, I don't know. It's been a while. Uh, oh, you know, at the time, I, he says, Oh, yeah, look at that. It looks like a DNA strand. It looks like the double helix. Was it to that, try that and. That shows intelligence. Was, was it to try and indicate that
2: they'd it. previously been a, a much more advanced civilization? Oh, okay. Possibly. I don't All know. All right, I'll buy that. It's clutching in its drawers now. Aww. <laughs> oh. Is that what <laughs> you think?
0: We never oh, got to an answer, so Mark did. So, round of applause for Mark. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: I think that's time to call it a day, isn't it?
0: Are we calling it quits on season 19? Yeah. I do
1: like, I do, I have very happy memories of that. Yeah, we too. That series. I have very but, um, unhappy memories of large yeah. parts of it and a couple of happy memories but of to go parts. go back to what Lee said, yes, it has, has got that FM synthesis as opposed to analog synthesis sound to it, where it's things trying to sound, as you say, digital and, and very thin and almost. There's an earthiness to what's gone before,
0: but as soon
3: as
1: John Nathan-Turner comes in,
0: it all feels a bit plastic Synthetic,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do want to just quickly put in there that nostalgia value. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as a kid. Yeah. Looking back at it as an adult, it was like, bleh. See, I was too old,
0: the nostalgia thing doesn't work for me. It's like all the vocals have got auto-tune on them, isn't it? That same oh my thing. god, will you quit with the mm. music I least. know,
1: but it's a really good analogy Because it's, it's something that's taking the As you say, the earthiness and, and taking the Organic You've taken the jazz out of it Yeah, it yeah It's lost its organic heart <laughs> That's what you've done
0: <laughs> You've taken Nora Jones And turned her into Nora Ephron Which Ooh. is uh, Now I've gone cine you have a bit, yeah. But I couldn't think of anybody else called Nora. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Nora Batty. It's like
1: all the records are in the charts at the moment. They all sound like they're recorded in the same studio with the same producer. Yes. Oh, you're not old at all, are you?
0: <coughs> oh, no,
1: I'm not going along with that.
0: I was JR. I was Lee.
2: I was Mark. I was the music boy. <laughs> and
0: next week we'll be talking about... Spooky. So we'll speak again soon.
1: can contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk
0: found it astonishing that the new Bond film mentions me in the theme tune. J.R. Southall, J.R. Southall. <laughs> Have you not heard that? Oh, shut your fucking head. <laughs>